The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Thank you again for being here. We do want to welcome back the crew. We're glad that you are back with us. Hope that you have a great semester. It's always good to see your faces with us as we gather. Also, I think one of our missionaries is here this morning. Steve Keywood, are you, are you in here this morning? So stand, we just stand, Steve, so we can see you. Steve Keywood, who serves in Southeast Asia, we're grateful to have you with us. Thanks for being here, Steve. Well, I've got the great privilege of welcoming a, a friend up. I'm going to ask Mark Wood if he would come up. Mark is a, a candidate to become an elder at Temple Bible Church. We have prayed and discussed uh, who the next group of men might be to join us. And Mark is one of those men. So he's going to share a testimony with us in a moment. But as he does, I want to read what the Bible says about those who lead the church, elders and overseers. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he, decide, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the con condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. When I read these qualifications, I think, what a tall order to attain. But also, when I read these qualifications, uh, I think about Mark Wood. That's the sort of man that he is. So we want to welcome Mark, and Mark, would you share with us just what the Lord has been doing in your life and really all that he did to get you right to this place in three to five minutes? <laughs> I give it my best shot. Well, good morning. It's, a, it's certainly an honor to be here. Um, we moved to the Temple Belton area in 2014 after 20 years in the U.S. Army, um, and I'll get back to that in just a second, but... It's after moving around for years, it's really an honor just to be able to plant roots into a community. And we've been to a lot of churches over the years, and, and boy, TBC is, is just a fantastic church. And we're so grateful to be a part of this. Um, my family, uh, my wife, Shelly, we've been married for 25 years as of December. I've got three children who are rapidly moving on in life. I've got two at Texas A&M, Mark Douglas and Samuel. And then I have Elizabeth, who's a junior in high school at CTCS, and she's trying to leave the state and go to Florida when she graduates, but we're trying to hold her back on that. But um, we've had an opportunity to get involved in TBC uh, through impact clubs, working with the youth, um, short-term missions, been involved in small groups, um, had a privilege to be in this, the young marriage, as they call it. Uh, I fit the married side of that, but not the young so much anymore. Uh, but just a, just an awesome opportunity to get involved and, and get to know the community through this church as well. And what I wanted to share this morning was just what I just call as a crossroads uh, in my life and a real big turning point for me 
as a man and, and subsequently for my whole family. So I, uh, I grew up as a pastor's kid. Um, my parents loved each other. They loved me. Um, my father, uh, I had the opportunity to watch him uh, minister as he would go around and preach in churches. He was an artist, and he would preach and, and, and draw pictures, and so he called that a chalk talk. And uh, he had had a really rough childhood growing up and uh, was burned in an explosion really bad. Uh, and so just seeing his faith and the way God had intervened in his life, uh, seeing that lived out before me just made a really big impression upon me. And the thing that I just kind of look back, my dad's passed away in 2008, but I look back on his life and I just think that was a man who trusted God. That was a man who, who walked with him faithfully. And so that, you know, that was such a great example for me. Um, I, I gave my life to Christ at a very young age. Um, and come high school time, I'm just kind of fast forward as much as I can here, but I entered the Army through West Point. Uh, I, I was not really seeking to go in the military. I wasn't really a fan of it, honestly, at the time, and just kind of fought against the whole idea and finally submitted. Um, over the course of time, be- came to the point where I really embraced it and uh, just went all in. And, you know, I'm fairly competitive, can be fairly competitive, and so. I maybe probably went a little too far, but I, I found myself at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I was about five, six years into my career in a really demanding job. We had our first son, Mark Douglas. Um, I would leave the morning before he was awake. Many days, I wouldn't even see him. I'd come home after he was already in bed. And, I, you know, Shelly would just kind of lovingly say, you know, this, I don't know if this is healthy. I don't know if this is this is the best way. Um, but I really felt at that time, I felt like, you know, God had called me into the military and I was just full force, going full force. And I was getting ready to leave Fort Campbell. and had an opportunity, a really good opportunity before me. And Shelly encouraged me to really pray about it. And, and I did. And I really felt like God saying, no, don't take this opportunity. I kind of went through this mourning process of kind of laying it down. And then right when I'm Start, you know, getting ready to move, a, a second opportunity came forward, and I, you know, I ran home and said, it's, the Lord has spoken, you know, he's granted me my wish, it's time to go, let's roll, and she said, well, have you prayed about that, and of course, you know, I had made a lot of assumptions, and as soon as I started praying about it, it was very clear to me that that was not the path we were supposed to take, so fast forward, we leave Fort Campbell, go to Fort Rucker, Alabama, and we plug back into a church we had been uh, at a previous assignment, and I was chosen to lead a study called The Man God Uses, and I still have this book. It's fairly old, written by Henry and Tom Blackaby, and it was church training that we were, you know, running, and uh, if you remember the old church training, Sunday evenings we'd get together. Well, it was just me and one other man, and uh, I was about 27 years old, and the other guy was about 60, and it was, we were the odd couple for sure, but, you know, he was a new believer, and I thought, well, I'll just share with him what I know. Well, the Lord turned that upside down and really used this study uh, to really change, change the path that I was on. So I want to just share a couple of scriptures. It was a day four called God's Refi- God Refines Us for Holiness. And it says, read Malachi 2.15. So I'm going to read this verse. Has not the Lord made them one in flesh and spirit? They are his. And why one? Because he was seeking godly offspring. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. 
And then again in Malachi 4, 6, he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. And as I meditated on these scriptures and prayed, uh, I still have, literally I have the prayers that I was writing at the time. God broke me. And I, you know, my family was here last hour and I got choked up and I, I still, every time I tell the story, I just get choked up a little bit um, because God rescued our family through this. Uh, he spoke to me so clearly. He, he opened my eyes um, to the destructive path that I was on, and, and, and I thought it was the right path. I was convinced that, that, you know, that that was the right path. And I was just looking well beyond my family at all these things that I was supposed to accomplish in the military, and he stopped me in my tracks. I remember calling Shelly across the room, and I said, Shelly, come here. You've got you've to hear this. She came in the room, and I got on my knee, and I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I'm so sorry. I completely missed it. I completely have missed the boat, and it will never be the same again from this day forward. And so I did. I chose my assignments very differently from that point forward. And uh, the Lord, you know, that, that, that term godly offspring cut me to the heart. And, and I, you know, I wasn't you know, we were in the church, we were studying the Word, but I wasn't producing godly offspring, uh, and they were just young babes at the time, but I was on a, a, a very different path. So, you know, my big takeaway from all this, I mean, I could, you know, I could talk a lot about what, you know, what I've learned through all this, but God is just faithful. Um, and, and it's not faithful to do what we want Him to do. It's not, fa- you know, He's faithful to a relationship, and He calls us to walk with Him and sometimes that walk looks a little different than we have, uh, you know, in our brains. Uh, but I just think through the path that my family was on and, and, and the change that occurred to me that day that cha- really did change the trajectory of our family. And uh, our passion is to invest in, in families and, and build families. Uh, and, you know, your, your own children are your first disciples, uh, and we need to be discipling our children. And... Uh, so God has, has been faithful to us along the way, and it's, it's just an honor to be able to be before you this morning and uh, look forward to hopefully faithfully serving as well. Amen. Thank you, Mark. And praise God. Hang, hang on. Hang on, Mark. I'm going to pray for you. I'm, I'm going to pray for you in just a second. Mike, why don't you come up as well? So we're grateful to have a man like Mark Wood and his wife, Shelly. And then right next to him is Mike Hagan. And Mike has served as an elder previously, rotates off for a year. So if you're an elder at TBC, you can do a three-year rotation. Then you can decide to do another. Then you have to rotate off for a year. So what we do is you've heard this great testimony of God's faithfulness. These are men and their wives serving the church faithfully. If you have any questions about them, being an elder, if you have any concerns about that, you can email one of our elders over the next 14 days. You can find our emails right on our church website. Reach out to us and we'd be glad to visit with you. I'm gonna pray for these men, for their families right now. And if you'd extend your hand this way as I, as I pray for them, just in agreement. Gotta thank you for Mike and Barb, for how they've raised their kids. They're now helping grandkids that are going to grow to know you. God, I thank you for how they've been faithful in our church and our community to serve Jesus, to make much of your son. And God, I thank you for Mark and Shelley and their children, Lord, for how they've invested in our church, continue to invest in our church to, to make disciples of people in our city, and they've traveled to help make disciples in all the world. 
And God, we thank you for how your hand of grace is on them. And Lord, I pray for us as we seek to shepherd the flock, as we seek to be like Jesus and not to be served, but to serve and give our lives for the church. God, would you pour your spirit out on us and out on this church, God, that we might be faithful witnesses to your goodness in our city and in all the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you both so much. Amen. Well, we're in 1 Corinthians 10 today as we continue our study. And as we continue it, it's a good week to be talking about how all of life is for the glory of God as we hear this great testimony that Mark has given about how life has really ultimately been for God's glory. And we're going to read verses 23 through 33, but verse 31 really is the verse. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's the focal point of the passage this morning, and it's there for a reason. How do you live all of life for God's glory? I mean, of course, of course, missionaries, they, you know, they travel, they live life for God's glory. And of course, when we read the Bible, we're reading the Bible for God's glory, or maybe when we pray, we're doing that for God's glory, or when we gather in this place or in a small group, but what, a, what about at work? What about at home? What about when I'm making my kids a PB&J? What about when I'm fishing, or what about when I'm shopping at everyone's store, Amazon? How, how do we do the ordinary for the glory of God? That's, that's really the question. That's the question Eric Liddell faced. About 40 years ago, there's a movie that came out called Chariots of Fire. If you're my age and you hear that that movie came out 40 years ago, you tend to feel really old. The Chariots of Fire told the story of a guy named Eric Liddell. He was a British sprinter in the 1924 Olympics, but he was also interested in missions, and his sister, Jenny, was concerned that his sprinting might get in the way of him going to China. And so she thought he might should stop. She said, Eric, you're made for China. And he looked at his sister and said, Jenny, I know God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. See, Eric Liddell believed that he could run for the glory of God. And so he wanted to do that every time he ran. And we want to run the race of life every day for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Last week, Pastor Tim Talk to us about idolatry, and in verses 19 and 20, it spoke about this food that's been sacrificed to idols, and what do you do with it? Well, Paul tells us, eat what is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, sometimes they would have pagan sacrifices before the meat was sold, or sometimes the meat had been sacrificed in pagan temples. 
If someone says it's been sacrificed and do not eat, for the sake of the one who informs you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, I do not seek my own advantage, but, the, but that of the many that they may be saved. God, help us to know in the ordinary things of life every day in the ins and outs to give you glory. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this passage we're looking at starts where Paul says something that he said previously in chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians 6, 12, speaking about sex, Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. The Corinthians were proclaiming their freedom in Christ, but they were doing it in a way that was sinful in chapter 6, that harmed others and that harmed their own bodies. And he, he says it again here, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Well, what does that have to do with living all of life for the glory of God? Then Paul says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. See, they're to seek the good of their neighbor and how they, handling, how they handle eating meat or not eating meat. And they're to do that for the glory of God in this moment. Seek the good of your neighbor, not your own good. Wouldn't you like to live in a world like that? I'd like to live in a world where everybody sought the good of his neighbor. Or as Jesus said another way, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Well, the way to live in a world like that is to be a person like that. And if the church doesn't seek the good of our neighbor above our own good, the world never will. And in fact, the world still might not. But we're God's people. And so if we live in a way that seeks the good of our neighbor over and above our own good, we might just shine like stars in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. I mean, Paul says, live freely. Don't bind yourself more than scripture does. That's what verse 25 says. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. See, there was a conversation going on in the church. It had started in Acts chapter 15. Gentiles began to be saved. And so the elders in Jerusalem, they gathered together to talk about what Gentiles had to do. Could they eat the food that they had been eating? Did they need to be circumcised? What was it going to look like for Gentiles to come in? So ultimately they said, it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these things, you'll do well, farewell. So they had said, be careful, don't eat food sacrificed to idols. So maybe some wondered, well, do we need to ask about this food? Has this been sacrificed to idols? And Paul says, no, you don't need to ask. If you don't know that it had, it's not that this food is sinful in and of itself. He's gonna explain why an idol is nothing. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. But if it bothers someone's 
conscience. It's about caring for your brother. See, they'd gone from this law in Acts, just don't eat food, sacrifice to idols, to in, in Antioch, Paul tells us in Galatians that Peter is eating with Gentiles. But then Jews from Jerusalem come and Peter won't eat with them. He won't sit at the same table with them. And so Paul is telling the church in Corinth, no, 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 it's about God's glory. This is about God's glory. It's about loving your neighbor. So just eat, eat the food. You don't have to ask. Don't raise a question on the ground of conscience. And the reason you don't is because the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now, when Paul says that, he's quoting a very common Jewish prayer of the day. They would quote Psalm 24.1 and they would pray. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, and they would eat with thankfulness. Paul says, if it's in front of you, just eat the food. We understand this in Texas. If someone puts meat in front of you, you eat it. You partake with thankfulness, right? I, uh, I thought I had a good vegan joke for you, but my wife said it was cheesy. Um, oh, wow. See, it's, it's more than about whether or not we eat or drink. It's that when we understand that all of life belongs to God, we can see the significance of the ordinary. My, my wife was here in the first service and she texted me between services and said, when I, when I listened to that sermon, I thought of this quote I love from Elizabeth Elliot. So I went over and typed it out. It says, just about life right in front of us. This job has been given to me to do. Therefore, it is a gift. Therefore, it is a privilege. Therefore, it is an offering I make to God. Therefore, it's to be done gladly if it's to be done for him. Here, not somewhere else. I may learn God's way in this job, not in some other. God looks for faithfulness, for faithfulness in the ordinary. When we understand that all of life belongs to God, we can see the significance of the ordinary and we can walk in faithfulness. See, Eric Liddell, this great sprinter, he was gonna run the 100 meter dash and he was gonna win in the Olympics. That was the plan. He had a rival named Harold Abrahams. But Liddell wouldn't run on Sunday. Pastor Tim talked last week about how sports could take over life sometimes if you're not careful. And Eric Liddell wasn't going to let that happen. And we can have different views about Sabbath principles. But for him, he wasn't going to run on Sundays. And so he's on the way from England to France. And he finds out the 100 meter preliminaries are on Sunday. And so it's an easy decision. He won't run. He can feel God's pleasure running another day. In the ordinary, he's going to obey. That wasn't a concern for Harold Abrahams, but he had other concerns. Harold Abrahams was Liddell's chief rival in sprinting. He didn't know God, and he searched for significance, not in God, but in running. And before he walked out onto the track, to run the 100 meter dash in the 1924 Olympics and to win it, he said this, I raised my eyes and looked down that corridor four feet wide with 10 seconds to justify the whole of my existence. Can you imagine how frightening it would be to live where you had to justify 
your existence in these great and grand moments of life rather than understanding that Jesus Christ came and lived and died and rose from the dead to give justification for your existence, purpose for your living. See, if we only look for opportunity to glorify God in the grand moments of life, you may just find that they've passed us by. If we only look to glorify God in the grand moments of life, we might realize that the grand moments of life have passed us by. Those 18 years we had day in and day out with those children, those very normal conversations at playdates or around the water cooler at the office or at a lunch with a friend or doing laundry or doing bills. If we only look for opportunity to glorify God in the grand moments of life, we might just find that the grand moments of life have passed by. See, all of life is for the glory of God. And so when Eric Liddell ran, he felt his pleasure. And when we run the race of life, God would have us feel his pleasure. So if an unbeliever invites you to dinner and you're disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. Live life and love people. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, don't eat it. If someone says, no, 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 this has been offered in sacrifice, maybe the unbeliever who invited you, maybe another believer who's there, maybe an unbeliever who's there, maybe they're saying it to test you, maybe they're saying it to protect you. Maybe they're saying it because it bothers them. If they tell you that, don't eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you, he says, for the sake of conscience, and he says this strange sort of thing in verse 29. He says, I don't mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? Well, I don't understand, Paul. You said if he asked me not to eat it, don't eat it. My liberty shouldn't be determined by his conscience. Can't, doesn't that mean I can eat? No, it, it means that you're not losing freedom when you lay yourself down for the sake of another. You're not losing anything. You're gaining something when you lay yourself down for the sake of another. And you do so in Christ. It means that you've come to recognize that you are free to be made like Christ. It's counterintuitive, but it's right. We were talking about this in staff meeting this week, and Shannon Sword said something I thought so profound. I had to share it with you. I think it would have been a great word for the church in Corinth in the first century, and I think it's a great word for us today. Shannon said this, all right. Our intuitional conclusions are often wrong and it's difficult for us to grasp this. We look at a situation and we tend to lean toward our intuition. We tend, tend to lead toward what's good for us and away from laying our lives down. See, Paul in Philippians 1 was in prison, but he didn't feel like he wasn't free. When he said, what has happened to me has turned out to advance the gospel. When he was writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter four, when he was in prison, he didn't say, I, Paul, a prisoner of Caesar, therefore beseech you. He said, I, Paul, a prisoner of the Lord, 
Therefore, beseech you to bear with one another, have compassion, show kindness and gentleness to one another. In 2 Timothy 2, 9, he said the word of God is not bound. We do what we do for the sake of others. We do what we do for the sake of others. And why do we do what we do for the sake of others? Because we live for the glory of God in all of life. So if the question doesn't arise, verse 30 says, if I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? If the question doesn't arise, eat and enjoy. But whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, whether you eat or don't eat, whether you speak or don't speak into a situation, where you go somewhere or whether you don't go somewhere, do it all for the glory of God. Well, how do you do that? How do you do that? I think the question is, what's your mindset? What's your mindset when there's a stack of bills, a stack of laundry, sandwiches to be made, grass to be cut, work to be done? What's your heart? What's your intentionality there is no sacred, secular divide. There's only living for the glory of Jesus or not. See, Eric Liddell, they tried to convince him to run that 100-meter dash. The Olympic team from England did it. They even got the future king of England to come talk to him, and he would have none of it. And so they said, well, why don't you run the 400-meter instead? You won't have to run on Sunday. And he did. He hadn't run the 400 meter in years. He hadn't trained for it. But he had a couple of days to prepare. So he decided he would run. And the day of the race came. He got through the preliminaries, okay. He made it to the semifinals. He got through the semifinals, okay. And he's preparing to run in the finals. An American sprinter, a believer named Jackson Schultz, walked up and he handed Eric Liddell a note. And the note had the words of 1 Samuel 2.30 on it. He who honors me, I will honor. And Eric Liddell ran and felt his pleasure and he won the 400 meter race of the 1924 Paris Olympics. Now don't miss it, even if he hadn't won, he would have felt the pleasure of God. It was in the running itself of the race. That's where the pleasure is, win or lose. I'm gonna run for the glory of God. Our executive pastor, Danny, shared with me this Oswald Chamber quote. I, I thought it hit so well. We are made for the valley and the ordinary things of life, and that is where we have to prove our stamina and strength. Yet our spiritual selfishness always wants repeated moments on the mountain. But there just aren't many mountaintops, right? So we serve faithfully in the valley. We live all of life for the glory of God. But don't you wish Paul would have told us how to do this? Well, fortunately, we have verses 32 and 33. He did. He says, give no offense to Jew or Greek, in verse 32, or to the church of God. Verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, that they may be saved. 
You want to know how to eat and drink for the glory of God or not eat and drink for the glory of God or do whatever it is you do for the glory of God. It's that we do what we do considering others. Not considering ourselves, but thinking about the many so that they must be saved. And isn't this what Paul did? I mean, he really did. He said this same sort of thing in every letter he wrote. In Romans 9, 3, speaking about his Israelite brothers, he said, I would be cursed and separated from God if it meant them being saved. I have desire in my heart that they might know God. Romans 10, 1, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, we read of how Paul said to the Jews, I became like a Jew in order to win the Jews to those under the law as one under the law. To those outside the law, I became like one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share in its blessings with them. And 2 Corinthians 5, He said, the love of Christ compels us knowing this, that one died for all. So those who live shouldn't live for themselves any longer, but for him who died and rose from the dead. And he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for him in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've in fact died. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In Philippians chapter two, he says, if there's any joy in Christ, if there's any hope, if there's any consolation from the spirit, make my joy complete by doing nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but consider others as more important in yourself, in Colossians 3, 12 through 14, he says, as those chosen and dearly loved, put on hearts of humility, compassion, kindness, faithfulness. These things are all bound up in love. In 2 Timothy 2, 10, he said, therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that will be those who are saved and those who will be saved, so that they may obtain the salvation that is theirs in Jesus Christ. See, in Corinth and in the United States today, some seek to glorify God without loving their neighbor. They speak about God, but in harsh ways, and they don't love the people God's put into their lives right around them. And the reality is you can't glorify God if you don't love your neighbor. John says it plainly. You can't love God who you cannot see if you don't love your neighbor or your brother who you do see. Others try to love their neighbor and have really no regard for the glory of God. Well, if, if you're not directing people toward this Jesus who saved you, then your love will come across like a piety they can never attain to. Or you'll just be ashamed of the gospel and not willing to share. But Paul sought to glorify God through loving his neighbor. I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many that they may be saved. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we want to do it for the glory of Jesus. And just like Eric Liddell ran that 400 meter race, we want to run the race of life in such a way that when we run, whether we're going to China as a missionary or whether we're right here in Central Texas, we feel God's pleasure. Let's pray. 
God, all of life is for your glory. The earth is yours and the fullness thereof. So as we go out of this place to rest on Sunday afternoon, whether people are watching football or going to Target or doing yard work or playing disc golf or taking a nap or playing with their kids or getting caught up on laundry, let us do what we do for the glory of God as we go this week into our workplaces, into our schools, into our homes, among our children and friends. Lord, whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, let us do it for your glory, for you alone are worthy, our Savior and our King. And we yearn to be with you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.